Hello and welcome to the All In My Head podcast. We're glad you decided to give this podcast a listen. We're a group of teens that are making a podcast for youth by youth. We will counter stereotypes around mental health in the teen, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus community and talk about things you might find a little uncomfortable. Join us twice a month for a reminder that you are not alone in these struggles. It's, it's real teens, real talk. Hello, and welcome to the All in My Head podcast history. This is a time where we go over LGBTQ+, Black, and Indigenous moments in history that we want to share with you. In 1967, one of the first demonstrations of police brutality against the LGBTQ community began at the Los Angeles River Lake Black Cat Tavern in January as undercover LAPD officers conducted a raid, arresting 14 people. These demonstrations against the police later inspired greater protests and the creation of the newspaper The Advocate for the organization Pride. In 1971, January 26, Jake Baker and Michael McConnell were featured in Look magazine as a gay couple. They were the first U.S. citizens to receive a marriage license. Laws of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy have been credited as influencing the creation of the American Constitution, this is very ironic given the fact that the Founding Fathers tried to assimilate and destroy the people who created such principles. Madam C.J. Walker, born in 1867, became a self-made black millionaire after inventing a line of black and African-American hair products. She was recorded as the first female self-made millionaire. We hope you found these facts interesting. Sources and further readings are always cited on our Instagram page. Thank you! Hello and welcome. I am Leanne. I'm 18 years old and I use she, her pronouns. And for today, we wanted to feature folks who live within both the LGBTQ plus and BIPOC communities. And for that, we have two guests. Would you like to introduce yourself to us? Hi, my name is Delilah. I'm 16. I use she, her pronouns. I'm white and I'm also gay. Hello, uh, my name is Josiah. I use he, they pronouns. I am gay and mixed race. It's nice to meet you all. Pleasure to meet you. And so for the first question, I would like to know who is a queer person you look up to? I think a person, like a queer person that I would look up to would probably be my best friend of Ben. I find her ability to articulate and like advocate for like issues that relate to culture which I think actually almost every issue does, but, you know, um, you know, these types of issues is pretty, like, phenomenal compared to me because I'm I'm highly uncultured. (laughs) So I admired her immensely for that. I would say the queer person I look up to most, I mean, this just comes to my head right now because I was just listening to their music, um, is Hailey Kiyoko. I really love her music. I like her music videos, all that stuff. I am probably never going to become a musician like her, but I just, I really think all the work she does in her community, um, how she really puts herself out there, no matter what other people might say, she's just really authentic, and I really like that, and I look up to that. Yeah, I agree. Haley Kyoko is so authentic, and she's just amazing. So for the next question, um, we'll start with Josiah. 
uh, tell us your struggles with mental health in regard to how you identify and the way like you feel identities are viewed by U.S. society and systems. I think I would probably say that my like main struggle would be kind of relating with anyone else. I have a hard time like relating to any like race really. Um, it's just hard to associate myself with it since I'm not like just a single one really and everyone just kind of seems confused about me most of the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I don't really feel like I have a culture that I'm very aware of usually. So I feel like the U.S. culture has definitely impacted me in a way that I can't actually tell. <laughs> so yeah, I think just kind of like distinguishment would be one of the hardest things for me. I think the most difficult thing for me and U.S. society, just more specifically with my, you know, role in the LGBTQ plus community, is probably, to be specific, feeling sexualized, especially online, and that kind of limits what I want to do in public as well, um, in school and stuff, and how I want to talk to people about my sexuality, because... I think especially being gay and being a woman, it's it's not the best and it's something I struggle with because basically like a lot of things I see in media is like very much sexualized and then there's artists like Hailey Kiyoko which have a more positive view to it because she's actually gay and so she knows what it's like and I a lot of times I see people who are not gay create this like really sexualized image of us. And I think that should stop. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I feel like a lot of things, especially now and in this society, a lot of things are being sexualized. And it's just weird. Like, I'm really sorry you have to really go through that, honestly. But also, I would like to know, like, what are some support systems that have been helpful for you? And I'd like Delilah to go first, if you're okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, so... I would say that the biggest support systems that I really depend on is probably just my friends and family. I'm lucky enough to have a family that's very accepting and have friends that I picked out, obviously, that are super accepting. And I really depend on them a lot for, you know, emotional support and just finding resources and being myself around them. So yeah, I think family and friends is the biggest support system that I rely on. For me, I'd probably say that the support system that I usually rely on is my friends on like the internet or the people that I've met who also share the same identities and are also as confused or dealing with the same like type of like, uh, what is this and why? <laughs> Or like the same type of anxieties so it, it feels like it's like an actual real thing because i've heard just from a lot of people where you start talking about it to them and they're like well that's that's not real that's just you you're making it up <laughs> so uh i feel like yeah definitely the validation that i get from that is extremely supportive do you guys feel like um you get more support systems from online or Places like school, like, where do you feel you get more support from? 
yeah, I would say, I don't know, I'm a bit more cautious about doing online stuff just because I don't know who these people are most of the time. But it's it's really interesting how there's people out there that have the like exact same thought process as you. And I think the internet is like a great way to find those kinds of people, um, not just in school. Because I feel like more people are, you know, more open on the internet at times because you can remain pretty much anonymous. But yeah, I'm I'm usually pretty cautious about that. I've heard so many horror stories about, you know, like from other podcasts about how it can go wrong. So I think that's part of the reason why I'm so cautious. But I also know it's like a great tool. So yeah, definitely a double-edged sword. It can totally be a double-edged sword. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like online, the internet is for sure a double-edged sword. But now I would like to understand like, what do you feel sometimes people try and conceive it as helpful, but you don't find it very much helpful? Like, they think it's a good support system, but it's not for you. And Josiah, you can go first. Yeah, I, I, I think it really depends on, like, how careful the person is. Like, I think you would probably pick, like, a, a community that you'd likely trust more that isn't going to, like convert it into something that is not helpful. <laughs> One thing that I think the people think is helpful, but it really wasn't for me, um, I kind of have a story about this. So I was in an affinity group, I think it was during over the summer, and we were talking about like experiences. It was like a white affinity group. They kind of separated them out. That's what my school did, like based on race. So we didn't have to, you know, have an emotional burden on people of color in our school. So we had these people just in set groups and I chose to go to the white affinity group instead of going to the LGBTQ plus affinity group and I think that was a bad decision because I mean I feel like the entire time I was talking to them I had to come out to them and so I did and I felt horrible after doing it because I was like why did I do that to myself I didn't need to do that to like a group of strangers because I usually only do that when I feel super comfortable but I did it because I thought I had to validate myself. Um, and I think those like online groups, I just, ugh, I don't really like it. And I don't like having to do that to like a group of strangers. I think it can be helpful for some people, but for me, yeah, I'd rather be in a big crowd <laughs> with people I know that support me. Yeah, because it sounds exhausting, like having to just explain that over and over and over again. Yeah, I do agree. If Felt like a very weird and exhausting place to be like constantly trying to explain something to people who in a way are not ready to hear that, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. But I do like, I know I need to, you know, acknowledge that I am white and I have much different uh, experiences and privileges. It was just that specific aff affinity group was just, it was weird <laughs> because they were like, <laughs> I was trying to explain how um, how I, I felt, like, uncomfortable about coming out to my, to my family or, like, why it was difficult to talk to them about certain things. And I was trying to explain that, and they kind of thought, oh, you know, you're using your white privilege, so you don't have to talk about hard topics. I'm like, no, actually, <laughs> it might be a little dangerous if I talk about those things. Yeah, that sounds like they didn't really understand your point and also just kind of invalidated you because you were white which is 
I honest, I honestly think it's just kind of racist in itself. But I mean, the privileges are definitely there, but you definitely should not invalidate your experience. I don't think. I think both experiences should be respected there. Because I was like trying to explain how it wasn't that I was afraid of talking about race, because that's something that I need to bring up with my, you know, racist white relatives. But, um, but yeah, it was more about your sexuality and <laughs> how that can be a tricky topic. Yeah, I'm guessing those relatives are like, you know, kind of have, um, I'm trying to phrase it right, but you know, like kind of old beliefs around sexuality. I don't know, I just felt really bad because I thought, well, I didn't need to actually do that. I didn't need to validate myself to those people. And I don't know, I feel like um, most of my family is like pretty open to topics about like race and sexuality, but I felt like I needed to, I don't know, validate myself to that. Yeah, so yeah, it was not the best feeling. So sorry about that. I'm really sorry though. Like no one should ever feel like that. And because of that, I'm gonna tell you, don't ever feel like you need to validate yourself to others, okay? You are a queen and you should respect that, okay? You are a queen, okay? <laughs> but yeah, also like I would like to know how do you think like we can change this support systems to like better support young people especially BIPOC and queer young people it is definitely important and yeah definitely needed <laughs> what struggles have you had within the school system in regards to mental health and your queer and queer identity Delilah you can go first um I think for me yeah online and I mean, right now, at least, it's really online with my friends because I can't meet up with them right now. Um, so definitely more online presently. Uh, but right, like we said before, online can be a bit difficult to traverse. It's a, it's like, it's hard to find um, your community that really makes you feel good and validated. Um, and I think school... Right, it's online right now, but if I was going to school in person, it just seems like a very vulnerable and like scary place. And online, you can go around different people and you can just try to find places where you don't feel like you're get, you'll get hurt um, because it's more anonymous that way. Um, and I think it, it does take a little while to find a community that best suits, suits you, but just for like all the young queer people out there, I promise that um, you'll find one you like online uh, that's positive. And I, you know, if you're finding those online communities that are entertaining but don't make you feel great about your identity, um, don't stick around. Find one that you really like. I think with my school, it's usually very upfront to what their actual beliefs are. Um, I go to community college. So I think it's pretty diverse there, actually. And it's usually just very cut and dry. It's like, you come here for education, you don't come here for me to talk about your sexuality to you in like any shape, shape or form, like maybe in history or when it's actually like relevant to like education. But when it's not, it's not really talked about. And maybe that's just because I haven't really explored the social parts of community college because I kind of joined when COVID started happening. Um, <laughs> but I I just don't think it's very, like, an important thing in at least that type of school setting. But 
I think, um, I think there's different perspectives on that. Yeah, that's true. I want to know, though, like, on the gatekeeping question, Josiah, like, I want to know your point of view on that, too. Um, I think it's there because people kind of want to make a kind of safer space for themselves and limiting the amount of people that can actually go in that space or like say that they are in that space mentally um, and physically, I feel like protects them in a way. And, but I can also see why sometimes gatekeeping is there because there has been people that, you know, just say that they are, they are these things, but they're like the complete utter opposite and just kind of, you know, I feel like give people, give those people a bad name but I don't feel like that's usually everyone's first impressions to those communities. So I kind of wish gatekeeping was more logical because <laughs> a lot of it is just a lot of made up definitions, but you know, which humans make up definitions, but you know, just, it's just on the spot on the internet. And it's just like, whatever definite definition gets the most backing quickest is the one that will be the most supported. It seems like usually, and it could be dangerous also. Yeah, I do agree it can be dangerous because people do tend to use it against someone, but... Yeah, like, um, you know, having, like, big people with, like, influence be like, this is a thing that you can be. <laughs> and, like, give them, not, I guess, kind of give them an idea for their own I identities. Yeah, and to build on that, I remember, like, a while ago we were having a conversation and we talked about vulnerability vulnerability and I feel like this because I know there are safe spaces like right now there are some safe spaces I feel like though we should create safe spaces which allow vulnerability so that someone can actually come as they are and we can like guide them and not through the confined like boxes but like with opportunity if that makes sense instead of using their vulnerability like being them being vulnerable instead of viewing, using it against them we can use them use it to get to know them you know i feel like it starts with someone it just has to start with someone so that everyone can better if that makes sense like it just has to start with you if you're gonna be the first person who is vulnerable in this space then that's good you know do you think there's more gatekeeping at like at schools than the internet? Yeah, I totally agree. Like everyone has their own difference like when it comes to different situations. And I know we touched a little bit on this and it has been in a way a major topic, but I would like to like focus on it right now. And so I would like to know, has the internet or social media influenced or affected how you see yourself or like how you see your identities and if so how i guess the lily can go i want to know more about your opinion on this um to be honest it's a bit both i mean i would say it's pretty equal uh, especially with like tiktok i guess hmm especially when i was back in school like March last year when TikTok was a big thing and I feel like there was like a, a growing LGBTQ community it was definitely a thing um in our school was like oh you only want to be bisexual or this or that just for attention which is like super biphobic right and uh I think it's still happening on the internet 
and it was definitely happening at school. And a lot of people were just like, you can't join the LGBT community just because you saw it on TikTok. It's like, no, those are really helpful for some people to figure out stuff about themselves. Because they're like, oh, did, did you check this box? Did you check this one? Oh, you didn't? Oh, sorry. <laughs> right, yeah. When you see people that are confident online and you see that and you kind of identify with that, you want to feel confident like that too. And so I think it's fine for people to figure out their sexualities. And I mean, when you figure them out online publicly, it's pretty tough. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I definitely saw a lot of gatekeeping in those areas, like within the LGBTQ plus community, which is really, really sucks. Uh, I think that I, I think the internet kind of helps me realize it. I mean, I realized it like really early, but you know, it was just kind of like making sure because I was really suspicious. I was like... Are you? Are you not? Hmm. <laughs> so, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just trying to, like, figure out, it's like, is that an actual thing? And when I look at myself, do I think that I could actually be that? So I think having, like, uh, influencers, or, you know, just people in general that I liked being entertained with was like, oh, okay, that does exist. It's like, and I can kind of learn about the culture a little bit through this. So it, it made everything I feel like easier. If I didn't have it, it'd be like, I feel like I'd be way more confused. <laughs> oh, nothing. I was just about to make a joke about how like, People are like, oh, you don't, you don't cuff your jeans. You don't do this. You don't wear plaid. Oh, you're not part of this community. No, you can be all sorts of different things and still fit into the community. It's not like that. So. Especially since like the things that are like deemed that are just constantly changing. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's a very unreliable thing to <laughs> like put in a box really. <laughs> Cause you're gonna open it up and it's like I didn't put that there <laughs> yeah that's a really good point like <laughs> especially I see this um I can't really speak to this from like a good perspective but I've seen people online trying to argue that like to be um transgender you have to right if you're if you're male um identify as male you have to be masculine you can't ever be feminine anymore it's like no that's that's not true. Um, you can be all these different things. Um, and you can, you know, be masculine or feminine or do whatever you want. And I think, um, yeah, that should be more accepted. You shouldn't have to fit like a binary that, you know, these heterosexual ideas, like it puts you in a box. You shouldn't have to feel like you have to be feminine or you have to be masculine. That that's true and like on the on the transgender thing I feel like that's a whole it's not stereotyping but it's like it's like um not being open minded because you can be anything you want. You can be whoever you want. You're not 
no one should like confine you to this standards or something because that's what they believe in so yeah yeah i think to like build on you that idea um i think a lot of times these kind of boxes people put themselves in when they're inside you know the lgbtq plus community is their their boxes are created by a heteronormative right society um and i think if we had more conversations talking about these sort of things within the community because right racism homophobia like internalized transphobia all that stuff is present and i feel like if we had a better space to talk about those things um you know that would be awesome i think there are spaces like this online but a lot of people just kind of defer to social media which sometimes isn't really great um (laughs) to have these conversations so yeah, if we could find another space to do that, that'd be awesome. Um, I think podcasts are a pretty good way to do that, but sometimes it's tough because we're not talking to like a whole audience. But I think the hardest thing for me was like actually finding a group of people that I could relate to in it because there was like some like, LGBT people there, but, uh, they would either be, like, really hyper into, like, being like, look at me, I'm LGBT, which is, like, okay, that's cool, I mean, I guess, um, and, you know, they're building confidence, but I just never really wanted to do that around them or have that, like, blasted around, just, you know, just because I just, I don't like talking about my, like sexuality people just just spontaneously as a like a main subject of like conversation usually so I had a hard time kind of like relating to their want to do that and they did it a lot so it's just and they had other cool parts of them but it was just like oh okay like can, can we talk about something else now this has been like an hour <laughs> um but I mean I, I'm kind of glad they could do that but I just personally couldn't really like blend in with those um kind of groups or social groups so i just kind of hanged out by myself usually (laughs) um i would say kind of the opposite i don't know i i think it's kind of part of the times i like to be a little self-absorbed about these things that not too many people know about i would like to like you know go into a crowd and just you know be proud of that and I mean, because there's a thing with, like, crowds and going to pride rallies and stuff like that, that you kind of, it's like, it's not overwhelming, I don't know. I could see how it'd be for some people, but it just makes me so happy, and I really, I like those things. That's so good that I felt so happy in a way that it created, like, this positive atmosphere for you and that's just wonderful like it's just so nice and so like this is the last question for the day i would like to know your favorite books movies show or pop culture that that have like queer or bipoc people that you really enjoy although most of the books i'm reading right now are very gloomy and sad history books for school Um, Last summer, I was able to read a book called The Price of Salt, which is an old but famous book that was pretty good, if not a little sad. What's up with all these sad queer books? I need to find some lighter ones. I think my favorite show would probably be 
good omens. It's just adorable. I love the characters, the story writing and the setting and how everyone just interacts with each other. And then in the, the, you know, main cast is pretty diverse too. And then like the two main characters are just like, oh, oh, my, oh just, just oh. like such good, such good writing. And it's just kind of implied that they're in a relationship, which I kind of like. Um, but I also am like, oh my gosh, just, just make out writing. But you know, yeah, I just, just watch it. It's good. That's it. Thank you so much for talking with us today. I hope you all enjoyed hearing from some youth about the intersection of BIPOC and LGBTQ plus identities and how that affects mental health. Check us out on Instagram at the underscore all in my head podcast to engage with us further. And with that, we'll see you in two weeks. This podcast was created using a grant from the Oregon Alliance to Prevent Suicide in partnership with the Association of Oregon Community Mental Health Programs and with funding from the Oregon Health Authority. The adult advisor is Nicole Mayer, music by Waterboy, shared on Pixabay.